Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, welcome back to a new episode of Yolitix here. I'm excited about this. We have a lot of stuff going on, at, but, but most of all, my friend Teresa Woodard is back on Yellow. Teresa, Hello. how are you? I'm good, Jason. Thanks for inviting me. You are so hard to book. It took us a while oh, to get yeah. you on, but, yeah. but mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I was just able to squeeze you in on this packed calendar I, that I have. I know, and and I, I'm going to make you have a beer with us because I can that's, do that. that's what we do on Yolitix. So what are you drinking today? All right. This is what was in the fridge. Revolver, blood and honey. One of my favorites. Have, is that a twist off? No. I actually brought the <laughs> baseball-themed opener. You, you know, we've had opening day in, uh, in the Dallas area, so the Rangers are playing. Let me open it. Hold on. There we go. Blood and Honey is a good beer. I got it. I, I, Blood I and Honey is one of my favorites. I love it. Yeah, that's, that's a really good beer. Revolver mm-hmm. is Fort Worth. Where is that? Uh, is it Granberry? Granberry, Fort Worth. I think you're right, yeah. I'm having... Um, this is Outer Bounds by Meanwhile Brewing Company, and, and this is in, uh, from Austin. All right. uh, Meanwhile Brewing Company, Austin, Texas, and I'm having this in honor of uh, our colleague Jason Wheeler because, close listeners will notice this, this is a strawberry, mango, and fruit punch, mm-hmm. and Wheeler likes the hardcore beers with fruit in them. So, <laughs> um, hey, are you a, a Stephen Colbert fan, Jason? Oh, yeah. I love Colbert. Okay. I cannot hear the word meanwhile without thinking of the late show with Stephen Colbert. <laughs> meanwhile. Exactly. It's my favorite. It's the one way of he delivers segments. it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Meanwhile has, uh, has some good beers, but Wheeler would love this one. And, and speaking of which this, before we get to our guest today, I'm excited about our guest. Um, Wheeler is uh, reportedly back in the building. So we asked him to, to send over a little message. To our Yolitix listeners who have, uh, you know, been waiting for weeks for him to return from his outpatient air quotes <laughs> surgery uh, on his You're back. You're acting like he he's been on vacation. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we have you seen a picture of him lately? He has like this Johnny Depp beard, like half beard that apparently he's been growing for weeks <laughs> and it's still not full in there, he said. But uh, we, we got this uh, message from him a few moments ago in our, in our inbox. So let's, let's play it. I, I don't know what he said here. Let's see what he says. Hey, everybody. Remember me? No, you don't. I understand. It has been a while. Let me reintroduce myself again. I am the other Jason on this podcast, Jason Wheeler. Uh, And I have been out for quite some time now for back surgery and the recovery from that. And uh, a big thanks, by the way, to all of you out there uh, who have reached out and checked in on me and and sent well wishes. Uh, I really do appreciate that. It does help you get through something like this. Uh, And that includes, by the way, Jason Whiteley, who did check on me while I was away. Although there was sort of this undertone there of uh, like, how long are you going to drag this thing out, man? Uh, When are you going to get back to work and uh, pull your own weight once again so I don't have to? Uh, Just kidding. Whiteley did actually admit to me while I was out that he missed me. And I kind of missed him too. 
Uh, and I definitely missed you and uh, doing the podcast. And so, yeah, I am back once again now and pulling my own weight at work. Uh, so we're going to do it all again. And starting with our very next episode, Whiteley is going to be alone no more. We're going to have double the number of Jasons, just like this thing was always intended to be. So uh, really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to getting my beer choices criticized again and the length of my questions criticized. <laughs> Boy, have I missed all of those things. Uh, anyway, we're doing it all, starting with the next episode. We do hope that you'll join us, as always, and uh, we'll talk soon. So, <laughs> I, don't, I don't recollect, Teresa, actually saying that I missed him. Uh, but <laughs> if, miss him it, one bit. If, he, if he says I did, maybe I did. I, I don't remember that. And he's pulling the curtain back a little bit on his, on his questions here. I always tease him that... <laughs> yeah. I, I, I try to model myself after the Barbara Walters style of questioning, like five words. And then I, I don't see, always hit five words. I'm a little I don't hit that, five words, but either. hopefully I'm not quite as long winded as Wheeler can be. <laughs> I will tell you, I've heard it, too. <laughs> Wheeler will ask a question and it'll go about three minutes of the podcast. <laughs> so most of our podcasts are usually like four question long podcasts. With uh, with Wheeler's question there, I, I tease. I'm glad he's back uh, yeah. next week. But I'm he's had super... a rough go. But we're we're happy that it sounds like he's recovered well. Um, well, he, at least he I hope says so. he's had a rough go. Trust but verify, <laughs> Teresa. We we need to get his doctor on the program to find out. Maybe so. Maybe um, so. But you know what? Seriously, back surgery that is no joke. Anybody yeah. out there who has dealt with it knows. So um, I'm glad that he took time to recover. And fingers crossed that uh, everything's healed well. I wonder if he'll keep the beard. It looked pretty good. Yeah, it gives him an, an edge. And I, yeah. I think that he could use that floating around the newsroom. It's, it's kind of trendy, too, you know? It's, yeah, I, I, I suppose You should so. give it a go, Whiteley. You should give it nah, a go. I don't, no, I don't, I, yeah. I don't do that. I, I do it about <laughs> as well as, as Wheeler does it, probably. Um, well, let's get to our guest today. Our, our guest is I'm someone... I'm excited about this. Yeah, and, and anyone who's been around Texas for a hot minute or who is a big fan of, of long-form journalism... Uh, probably knows the name Mimi Swartz. She is an executive editor at Texas Monthly. She's a longtime writer there. She's written for The New Yorker. Uh, I've followed her for years. I actually worked with her husband a few years back, uh, John Wilburn, in, uh, in Houston about 15 years ago. Uh, huge fan of Mimi's, but Mimi just wrote an article that's in the Texas Monthly May edition. And it's a, it's the headline is simple. and It, it kind of threw me for a bit because the headline is, who is Greg Abbott? Greg Abbott, of course, is the governor for any of our new listeners or for some of our listeners who might not live in Texas. Uh, who is Greg Abbott? And Mimi Swartz asking this question, which kind of threw me because we all kind of know who Greg Abbott is. Yeah, you'd think asked, it's a question you can answer. And yeah. then you start thinking, maybe I can't answer that. And that's what the question she asked, Teresa, is that do we really know who Greg Abbott is? So let's get right to Mimi right now. Mimi, it's, it's not often we have someone of your caliber on the program. So thank you very much for even being here with us. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. Um, li listen, I, I don't want to uh, put a date on you at all, but you've watched Texas politics for a long time. Why did you want to write this piece about Governor Abbott right now? That's a really good question uh, because I realized that no one had ever written the conventional who is this guy profile. And it sort of felt like 
at the same time, I didn't know who he was. I had no idea. I felt like I knew who Ann Richards was. I felt like I knew who George Bush was. I felt like I knew who Rick Perry was. And Abbott was still such a cipher to me that I thought doing a deep dive story was the right thing to do. A very and conventional it, piece, really. Well, do, do you know him better now, do you think? Well, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I know who he is and what he wants um, and what motivates him in a way that I didn't before. I didn't understand how someone goes, how someone who is ostensibly very smart, I was told at every turn he was very smart, but how you move from being a George Bush Republican in a way to being a Donald Trump Republican which is the story of a lot of Republicans today. But I think people are very surprised that Greg Abbott went that way. We're, we're going to get into all that in just a moment. But uh, I think Teresa <laughs> has a list of questions for you, too. <laughs> <laughs> Mimi, one of the things that struck me about your article was it seems people are reluctant to speak on the record about uh -huh. the governor. Why is that? Why is it the case that so few people will go on the record and tell you exactly what they think about Governor Greg Abbott? Well, I think, again, I was a little surprised by that. I think it's a good question. And what I found was that, and again, this is sort of a national thing now, that people were really afraid of reprisals. Um, people in government were afraid of losing important uh, programs that were important to them. Um, being put on an ice floe, and then people who had gotten appointments were really afraid they would lose their appointment. Um, I think, I mean, Pat, Dan Patrick, you might think, is a, a master of this, um, but I think Abbott is, he's right up there with them. The idea that, you know, I think we all heard thou shalt not um, speak unkindly of another Republican. It's just dead. Um, I think that, well, I'm contradicting myself a tiny bit here, but I, I think that the fear of these people that they have of each other is really dangerous and debilitating. Let me put it that way. And that, of course, I believe was what one of Reagan's, the 11th commandment from President Reagan, that yeah. thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that Republican Party is seems a million miles away from today's Republican Party. But, yeah. but as, as far as people being concerned about reprisals, like Teresa was asking, are, does Governor Abbott have that internal reputation for for uh, going after people? Yes. I, that's what I sort of lost my train of thought for a minute. But he campaigned against other Republicans. I mean, he when, uh, for instance, you look at Sarah Davis, uh, Republican from my area, Houston, you look at Lyle Larson, a Republican from San Antonio, he campaigned for their opponents um, because he didn't think they were on the team. So I think that's what I mean. The you know, it's a little shocking to have somebody, of course, he's working hard against Beto, but these moderate Republicans also found themselves on the outside. Mimi, the governor himself wouldn't speak to you for this story. Um, talk about that process and, and what you went through, how, how you tried to, to get him on the record. And if you would have been able to interview him, 
uh-huh. what, would you, what would you have asked him? Well, trying to get him on the record was going through all the proper channels, which included going through his press office at the governor's office and also his campaign office, which I also tried. But he kind of had a reputation already for never responding to calls. I still tried. Um, But what I'm most interested in, I think what I would have liked to have asked him more about was his very early life. Um, What his dad was like. We sort of know what his mother was like. We don't know what his father was like. Um, You know, he's a guy whose life was interrupted pretty catastrophically before he was injured with the death of his father when he was a young man. And then, you know, the whole economic life of the family was devastated. They had to start over again. His mother had to go to work, which in those days was more unusual than it is now. So I think I would like to get a better sense of his thinking, too. Um, I don't know. There was a good Politico interview with him, someone who he actually talked to. But I think no one's really held his feet to the fire on things. He doesn't really, you know, well, at one time you were in favor of making life easier for immigrants. Now you're not. Why did you change your mind? Um, Those are the kinds of things I'd like to ask him about, about all the shifts that he's made over the years. And you write in this article, you open this article, uh, this profile in Mm -hmm. in the May issue of Texas Monthly, talking about his his past, how he uh, was born up towards Wichita Falls, grew up in East Texas, and then moved to Duncanville, uh, just south of Dallas, too. How much do you think the death of his father and his mother having to, you know, jump into the workforce really, you know, fueled his, uh, you know, pull up by the bootstraps type of uh, mentality? I think, you know, I say in the story that when some people experience tragedy, it makes them more empathetic. When other people experience tragedy, their feeling is, well, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, so other people should be able to do the same thing. And I think he falls into the latter category um, of, you know, I think one of the great uh, lessons of growing older is realizing everybody is not like you. And I think he has never really understood that. Um People are different. They've had different experiences. Uh, He had a lot of advantages, even though he experienced tragedy. He's uh, experienced tragedy. He's white. He is now very wealthy. Um, He got a great education. A lot of people don't have access to any of those things. Mimi, can I tell you? story that I thought was really interesting. Please, that's what we're here for. We're here here to hear your stories. Please share. Um, This this really stayed with me and it was sort of too complicated to put in the story itself. But I, I wondered about this exact question about why certain people respond differently to tragedy and catastrophe. So I talked to a therapist about this because I had a friend in high school who was the smartest girl in my high school, bar none, went to Brandeis, was, you know, on the trajectory, probably could have been president. Um, And she fell out of a tree right before graduation and was paralyzed from the waist down like Abbott. 
Her name was Marilyn Golden, and she devoted her life from that moment on to helping people who had injuries like her own and became very involved in the American for Disabilities Act. She was one of the people who created it, worked on it, got it passed, never gave up. And so I was asking this therapist, all right, on the one hand, you have someone with a catastrophic injury who does only good, you know, devotes her whole life to good. Now, Abbott might say he's devoted his own life to good, but I would say his empathy factor is not as high as Marilyn's. And she said, well, you have to look at the kind of person they were before the injury and the kind of home they grew up in. And my friend Marilyn grew up in a home where it was incredibly important to make the world a better place. Um, And Abbott, I think, grew up in a very different kind of home where making the world a better place was limited to a certain group of people. Let me put it that way. Um, So I think, I don't know, that's really stayed with me. That group was who, Mimi? I would say extremely conservative sort of traditional Texas. I don't know if you all grew up, but I went to high school with a lot of guys like Greg Abbott. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm trying to say this delicately. You know, you have the, it's white males. (laughs) Um, I think the world has changed. Texas has changed. Uh, No offense to you, Jason, but we (laughs) live in- None taken. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) We live in a much more diverse state now, much less- country. And I think making room for all kinds of people is not something Abbott has devoted himself to. I think if you look at uh, not only tort reform, but voter suppression, I think he is much more in line with those who do not, who want to make sure that certain people don't have their moment at the ballot box certain people being minorities, particularly. Maybe you mentioned um, some of the previous stances that he took on immigration in mm-hmm. particular. And I found some of those old quotes that you dug up really interesting and telling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody, it seems to me, has ever accused him of flip-flopping or anything like that. So <laughs> would any of those old quotes where he was very compassionate towards mm-hmm. immigrants Could any of that ever come back to haunt him or has the entire stance on immigration in the Republican Party changed so much that nobody's going to care what he used to say? I think, you know, I don't think anybody. I mean, you look at Trump now and you look at truth now and and Abbott is in line with, you know, I think you just keep saying whatever you want to say over and over again until you think people believe it. Um, there's not a Republican who's going to accuse Abbott of flip-flopping who has any power. I mean, Ted Cruz isn't going to accuse Abbott of flip-flopping, right? Um, Because he's done, I wouldn't say he's done quite the same thing, but Cruz's statements have not been consistent. For instance, he didn't support Trump at one time, and then he became a very loyal Trumper. I think it's it's a Republican thing now. Just pressing a little further on that, you know, Abbott has flip flopped on a number of issues that, that it's mm-hmm. important to note here. Uh, COVID restrictions with Shelley Luther back in, yeah. in the beginning of 2020. There was uh, whether Texas needed uh, another law on chaining up dogs. 
Right. And then yeah. most recently, we saw just last week oh, yeah, on the border, on, on the border, the governor uh, ordering state troopers to do extra inspections of Mexican trucks. And mm-hmm. he quickly backtracked after Sid Miller, the Republican Agriculture Commissioner, yep. and a number of other business groups said, hey, this is a bad idea. It's going to hurt Texans. Hey, nothing seems to stick to Governor Abbott. Yeah. Why is that? You know, it's a good question. Nothing stuck to Trump. Um, and I, I think When you look at the current makeup of the Republican Party, I think it's so important what's in a way Abbott is behaving the way so many other people in the party are behaving, where you just keep moving forward, saying the same things. They've all got their talking points and they've all got their polling, by the way. Um, And and again, I think a lot of it goes back to appealing to that tiny base that that elects Republican candidates. And those people are extremely conservative and you've got to play to them. If Abbott were running 20 years ago, he, he probably could have maintained the same positions, but he's got to apply to a base now that's very different. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I? <laughs> it does make sense. And, you know, um, In November of 2021, Governor Abbott made a stop in Dallas uh, to speak at a at an event. And he had I I don't want to say rare because he does address the media from time to time, but it is usually in a group and it is usually, you know, one question per outlet, if that. And I got my my one question in and I asked him, I said, you know, Governor, what is what has changed what is driving this turn that you've made to the right Mm -hmm. and i i I went back and looked at my notes and he says um look back at my time as a supreme court justice and the attorney general who prosecuted election fraud defended religious liberty i've been a quintessential conservative governor and attorney general my entire career so he Mm -hmm. he basically said you're wrong i haven't made a, a hard right turn but Mimi, what do you trace it to? Is there a, a moment in time where you feel like he did make this turn? Or do you believe he's always kind of been this way? It's just been exaggerated given the political yeah. climate we're in. I think I think he hasn't changed that much. Um, I think I mean, I keep going back to his parents being Goldwater Republicans um, and and he grew up in a white flight community. Um, so I don't think, you know, it's not like we're looking at George W. Bush turning to the, you know, as far right as Abbott has. In a way, I think he told you the truth. Um, But I also think, again, when you look at the rise of the Tea Party, there's that moment when Dewhurst, uh, when David Dewhurst was defeated for the Senate by Ted Cruz. And I think Abbott very shrewdly saw the wind's changing uh, and and he was going to move in that direction. I think he is extremely shrewd about sensing the political winds. I mean, what I would love to see is if it's not going to happen. But if the moderates suddenly took over the Republican Party, would he then move back to another kind of position? Um, if he runs for president, what's he going to do? I don't, you know, again, I'm not very optimistic given the the climate of the Republican Party. But um, yeah, what, I, what planet are you on, Mimi, thinking moderates yeah, are going to take over the GOP? I, Come on. No, it's a it's a wish. It's a wish, <laughs> you know, 
Where is uh, Mitt Romney? <laughs> well, 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 kind of speaking to that, on that thread, uh, Alan West and, and Don Huffines uh, both ran against him in the Republican yep. primary uh, back in March. All along, uh, mm-hmm. Greg Abbott was way ahead of them in the polls, but we yeah. saw, it seems time after time, yeah. Greg Abbott still bent to things that Don Huffine said yeah. and, and stances that he made because, and I presume that's because uh, Huffine's just had, was really in with a, a far right section of the party. Is, is that the reason that we yeah. saw the governor do this despite being so far ahead in the polls? Yeah, I think he didn't have to do it. And by the way, if you look at how much money he had at the time, I mean, people were sort of scratching their heads. But I think Abbott is extremely dedicated to keeping himself in office at all costs. And again, it goes back to the Republican primary and who who elects these people in the Republican Party? And it's something like it's three percent of all Texans. Like, you know, it's terrible. I can't remember exactly what I wrote, but it's a very small number who has managed to kind of muscle out everyone else. And they choose they choose the candidate. And in a Republican state. That's it. Mimi, the people that you did speak with, um, mm-hmm. do they have. Um, optimism about where Texas is going under Governor Abbott's leadership? I mean, we don't know what will happen uh, in 2022. Mm -hmm. He's running for re-election. But the people that you did speak with who have watched him uh, through Mm -hmm. the years, are they happy with his performance? Are they happy with where things are? I would say not very many. I mean, it's interesting because Huffines is unhappy with him, but so are moderate Republicans. And in a way, you could think, well, that must mean he's doing a great job. (laughs) But when you look at, in particular, the education statistics, I mean, if, if everyone were complaining, but we were educating, if kids were passing these standardized tests at higher rates, um, I think you could say, well, okay, he's found a middle ground. But I think you look at education. What's he doing on climate? Um, The state's on fire. And I think we would expect our government to care more about the the meta issues we're facing. I think, you know, how are they educating our workforce for the future? And I think privately, a lot of people are deeply concerned about that. So that said, what are his policy goals? What does he want to accomplish in a third term if he's elected in November? I I think uh, he's not big on stating policy goals. Um, I think the thing that I heard that was most concerning was the concern of people that there would be a Republican sweep in 2022 and, you know, a bloodbath. So he will continue on this path more than any other Hmm. I mean, go ahead. I I think I don't quite know how to say this without sounding like a Pollyanna, but but I do. Mimi, don't 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 hold back for it. You're you're holding back on on yolitics here. (laughs) Just be real. Be authentic. Be you. Where the hell are these moderate moderate Republicans? I think you know they. I I know they. 
somebody eventually will be able to pull it out. I mean, Bill Clinton, nobody thought he could win um, the presidency. And I think there's something very cowardly about these people statewide and nationally about trying to fight and trying to form coalitions. You know, they're so certain they can't win. I mean, what do you all think about that? About moderate Republicans? Well, I, is there no way? Are we stuck with the far right in Texas in perpetuity? <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, like you said, I, I don't think moderate Republicans have a voice today. I, I think they're they're sitting in their corner now and, yeah. and watching the fringes. We're certainly not seeing any success, are we? We've yeah. had a handful of people who've campaigned um, that yeah. way, saying, I, I am I am a Bush conservative. I, I yeah. am that wing of the party. We certainly have not seen any success in our state with those yeah. candidates. Teresa, you're an Aggie. Was that a statement about yourself or was that? Uh... <laughs> Nobody will ever know my political views, Jason. <laughs> hey, Mimi, let me ask you this. Um, just having watched Abbott as attorney general, I wasn't here when he was a Supreme Court justice. I don't recollect his time on the Supreme Court. Uh, but watching him as attorney general and really watching him as governor and covering mm-hmm. him, Abbott, he, 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 he does not stray from a script. He does not stray from talking points at all. Mm-hmm. He's really tightly managed. And, and unlike some politicos, there's not a Karl Rove, no offense to his staff, but I don't think mm-hmm. there's really a Karl Rove behind him. He's the guy, I would think, mm-hmm. kind of leading that charge. Now, he has a talented staff behind him who, you know, yeah carries out the plan, but isn't, isn't he the guy that's, that's kind of, uh, you know, charting the course? Well, I think in some ways he's the decider, as George Bush would say, but he also has Dave Carney. And uh, Dave's very talented. Yeah. You know, Dave is what up in New Hampshire and, and he's, yeah. he's gotten, you know, helped get Abbott elected, uh, you know, twice as governor. Dave's very good, uh, uh, you know, politico. I think, though, when you look at some of the gaffes that we've seen, the famous rape quote, we're going to go arrest all rapists uh, during the abortion debate. I think some of the people who were very loyal to him and stayed with him through his attorney general period and through his governorship have left. And I think you are seeing there's going to have to be some kind of realignment. I think we'll see in the future if he does run for president. Um, Teresa, were you going to? Well, I'm just curious what you think the chances are of that. We've heard so much chatter about that. And in your article in Texas Monthly, um, I was struck because I'm wondering if Donald Trump had not been elected in 2016, Mm -hmm. would we have already seen Governor Abbott running for president? I think you might have. I mean, that was the plan was going to run against Hillary. Um, and then Trump won and it did, as Jonathan Stickland said, it screwed up his plans. Um, so I don't know now, you know, I am somewhat dubious just because some people I trust told me off the record, people close to him said, he's not going to run. I don't believe he's going to run. But then other people, including my editor, who's had a lot of experience with politics, said, He's got almost $100 million in the bank to run against Beto O'Rourke. You know, it's like, come on. And he and another point people made to me was this is a guy who runs. That's what he does. So how's he going to not 
how's he going to stop himself from doing what he always does? Um, but I wonder what will happen when he gets on a debate stage, you know, when he can't provide people with all these canned answers. Um, I mean, I guess he can keep talking to Fox News, but eventually he's going to have to talk to some people who will hold his feet to the fire. And you make a point that he's not like Ann Richards or George W. Bush or Rick Perry. He's not a, a happy to see a backslapper. I, I wonder what kind of challenge he would have if, let's say, Greg Abbott decides to run for the White House. What kind of challenge he would have against a DeSantis or or anyone else who might uh, who might run? I think it'll be hard for him. Um but you can see, I think, the competition happening right now. You know, you've got the don't say gay stuff in Florida with this DeSantis. And then here, you know, we've got the abortion descript, uh, restrictions and all of this, these poor trans kids who are being trotted out as, you know, throw down political victims. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, again, I'm just... It's troubling the way they're exploiting the weakest people in the system, I guess I would say to all that. And how long can they get away with that? Mimi, we um, Jason just brought up a few of the the mm -hmm. previous governors. You think of Ann Richards mm -hmm. as a trailblazer. George W. is yeah. maybe sort of a, you know, he could reach across the aisle. Maybe yeah. Rick Perry you think of as pro-business. Um, what what will Governor Abbott be most remembered for, in your opinion? That's a really good question, um, because I don't think their accomplishments, if you're on the far right, well, it's, you know, I was going to say, if you're on the far right, you could say he's accomplished many things, but the far right doesn't think he's accomplished enough. So I'm not sure, you know, if, if someone like Carney has, has worked with him to create what's basically an entirely political animal. There hasn't been any emphasis on policy that I can think of. I mean, he talks about the border, but but there's nothing that's really been done on a permanent basis um, that I think he can point to. And again, you can't point to education. You can't point to making Texans safer in their homes. Um, I don't know how many people are really going to be happy with his gun policies as we move forward. So I, I, I think that's a really great question, and I don't know what the answer to that would be. This is a super comprehensive article, and I don't think you really dug too much into this next question I'm going to ask you. But do Greg Abbott and the lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, get no. along? They're both far right Republicans. No. I think that's a great story waiting to be done. I put that on my list. I, <laughs> I did. I mean, I turned in 17,000 words. They cut it to 13,000. Wow. Um, so I think the feud between Patrick and Abbott is a fabulous story because, you know, they just never miss a chance to stick it to each other. <laughs> And I think that, you know, Patrick's a master of that. He's never going to stop um, because it's to his advantage. You know, he's the one punching up. So, But, but we'll what do you trace that back to? Because these guys are, you know, they, they've taken different paths to get where they are, but they <laughs> both believe in the same thing. What, what went south here? Well, I don't think they do believe in this. <laughs> 
let me be really in politic and say, I'm not sure either of them really believe in anything. Um, but I think I think Patrick has the far right in his pocket. They trust him. They love him. And the far right is much more skeptical of Abbott. Uh, so, again, you sort of think, well, moderates aren't going to go for Patrick. Um, I don't think, although if you look at how Patrick controlled the legislature, um, he really put the fear of God in some of these Texas corporations. Again, there's a vindictiveness to Patrick that sometimes makes Abbott look like an amateur. You said neither of them believe in anything. What do you mean by that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I think if you if you look at Bush, for instance, I think he really was dedicated to educating all Texans. I think he wanted to make the state a better place and he had policies for it. I think he was much smarter on immigration. He'd come out of a tradition um, that really saw the value of that, of, of having, you know, a border that that, you know, we we work to each other's advantage. Um, Again, I think Perry, you saw that Perry, I certainly didn't agree with him, but I think you look at all the businesses that he brought to Texas, it made a big difference. Um, and I think, you know, Ann Richards, again, um, I think she really made Texans feel like we were all part of the same enterprise. Um, she wasn't divisive. Um I remember feeling so hopeful about the future when she was governor, a future for everybody. And I, I don't see any of those things with Abbott. I, I don't see a vision um, for where we want to go. And I, he's been asked that question and, and it'll just say, well, I want to make Texas great. But I think, you know, again, like you said, he doesn't really he doesn't want to go much further than that because, you know, he's so cautious. He doesn't want to be pinned down on anything. Well, why is he so cautious? Because it, that's, that's a great way to describe it. Why is he so cautious? Because he wants to win. And I think he is very calculating, very careful about what he thinks is the proper path to victory. So we'll see now. Um I mean, it, it is interesting because he's very cautious on one hand and people who know him well talk about that. But then he does these things like last week's border fiasco. And you think, well, that was not very cautious. So I think somebody's not giving him very good advice. Uh, let me ask you this. You, you make it a point in, in the article in, in May's issue of Texas Monthly to to interview Matt Engel, who is uh, mm -hmm. leads the Lone Star Project, you interviewed mm -hmm. Democrats on this too. Um, mm -hmm. For all the all the criticism uh, that 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 Abbott receives, he is an expert fundraiser. He mm -hmm. keeps winning, you know, likely because of that fundraising is too. What what could Democrats learn from Abbott because they seem to still be in the same ditches they've been in for twenty years? Boy, great question. Um, I, you know, I think somebody, you know, again, this goes back to my moderate issue. I think Beto made two mistakes um, and I'm not saying he could have done well otherwise, but he came within a hair's breadth of beating Ted Cruz. Then he ran for president 
And it was a disaster. And as running for president, he said, yes, sir, I'm going to take away all your guns, <laughs> which I mean, talk about something coming back to haunt you. I think most Texans are moderate, tolerant people. And I think if the Democrats could come up, I, I don't understand why our bench or why the Democratic bench is so thin, um, why they haven't. I think the Republicans have had a great system for grooming candidates coming up through the trenches. They help each other um, most of the time um, and they teach each other. And I don't think the Democrats have been able to do that. And looking forward, I'm not sure how how if they'll be able to do that because they're so fractured. They've got to come together um, on some policies. You've got, you know, I think Beto is trying now, but it's a little late. Does he have a shot um, at all in November, Mimi? You know, who the hell knows? <laughs> I keep thinking about John Connolly. I mean, most people will tell you no. But, you know, if you remember, I'm dating myself, but John Connolly. I don't remember John Connolly, but go ahead. I don't remember oh, John Connolly on, either. Really? Just the stories. Oh, my God. I'm going to shoot myself on your program. Um, John Connolly, for our listeners, is a former governor of, uh, of Texas. But go ahead. Who raised more money than God in a presidential race. And I think got one carried Texas. He got one. He did terribly. So. You know, I wish that there were a whole lot of moderate Democrats who would come forward and tell Beto, yes, we're with you or, you know, do they all need to move. They need to agree. They need to stop fighting right now and agree on certain policies and and try to move forward as a united front. They need to help each other instead of be fractured as they are now. Um, and I'm thinking, I think this is, we reflect the national trends also, where you've got, you know, Democrats on the far left trying to eat moderate Democrats alive, and it's not a working strategy. I'm curious, Mimi, you said you wrote 17,000 and they cut it to 13,000. <laughs> tell, tell me about those 4,000 that are gone. <laughs> give you us know, the insight. What got cut out? Credit, I give all credit to my editors. You know, as you may have noticed on this program, I can be a little windy. And I think a lot of that, I mean, I had a lovely description of the oak trees in Houston and how <laughs> normally people love them, but they can become very dangerous. It was that kind of thing that got cut. It, it wasn't it wasn't facts, let me assure you. We have a fact checker at Texas Monthly, and I think I can't believe she volunteered to do this story. I mean, they go back over everything to double check it. Oh, wow. And, you know, you have to annotate every sentence. And I felt so bad for her. I just wow. thought, like, whoa. So she didn't have to check how pretty the trees were, but <laughs> she had to check a lot of other things. Man, you must have devoted months to working on this story. It took, my joke is, um, and I'm not sure I, you all correct me if I'm wrong. There's a W.C. Fields joke where he's talking about first prize is one week in Philadelphia and second prize is two weeks in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I turned this story in 
I think around Christmas time. And my editor said, we, this is terrific. We want you to do more reporting. <laughs> so I thought I was done and they just sent me back for more work. So that's, it was months. It seemed like it would never end. <laughs> I, I know the feeling. My, my last question for you, Mimi, is what do you think is next for Greg Abbott? I, I, boy, I guess we'll see how the 22 races go. Um, where are we? I, I guess now I'm thinking he will run. I mean, we'll see what happens. For president. In yeah, we'll see what happens after this November. Um, I think, you know, like we discussed, I think people are pretty sure that he will make a presidential run then. It'll be interesting to look at his fundraising. One thing we didn't touch on is how much oil and gas money he gets. Koch brothers are big supporters. If he makes a national run, they're going to ante up. So we'll see. Mm. I think probably you can look for him to run. The bold prediction here on Yolitics. Mimi, it was great to meet you. I, I've, I've followed your work for years, a longtime fan, first-time caller here. So uh, thanks for taking <laughs> Ditto. our call. Ditto for me. Well, thank you all. Thank you all for uh, asking me and for putting up with my Luddite tendencies. And I'm glad we could finally make this work. It was great. The, the article is, Who is Greg Abbott? It is in the May uh, uh, edition of Texas Monthly. Mimi, thanks for being here. We appreciate you uh, joining us on Yolitics. Thank you guys so much. Can you turn me off now? <laughs> <laughs> Bye.